Today's reading is taken from Matthew chapter 14, starting at, sorry, chapter 15, starting at verse 21, and can be found on page 982 of the Church Bibles. So that's Matthew chapter 15, starting at verse 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he, sat, then he went up onto a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Jesus called, to his, called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry, or they may collapse on the way. His disciples answered, Where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish, and when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was 4,000, besides women and children. After Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got into, a, into the boat and went to the vicinity of Magadan. This is the word of the Lord. Well, very good morning to you and happy Easter. It's very good to see you all, especially if you're visiting or it's your first time along. Uh, a particular welcome to you. Uh, my name's Rob. I'm one of the uh, part of the leadership team here. And it'd be a great help for me and um, for you, I hope, to keep the passage open. Uh, we're going to be referencing it. It's on page 982, 982. And also on the back of your service sheets, you'll see that we've got a little outline there just to help you follow along with where we're going to go this morning. I'll go say a prayer as we begin. One of Jesus' disciples, Peter, uh, we're told in John chapter 6, says this, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Our gracious Heavenly Father, how we rejoice that in this word we don't just have the philosophies of the world, or the best thoughts of men and women. But Father, we have words from you, words that give life. And we pray, our Heavenly Father, that as we meditate and think on them, 
this morning that you would give us that life, that Father, by your Spirit, you would open our eyes to see what these disciples saw. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I'd like to start with a bit of a moment of honesty, if that's okay, because um, I've got to say, when I saw that this passage fell on Easter Sunday, I gulped a little bit. Because as you probably heard in the reading, uh, in the passage, Jesus compares the woman he meets with a dog. And and after all, Easter is a positive day, isn't it? We've already felt that this morning. Uh, It's a day that we rejoice in hope coming to our world. And yet Jesus says something very uncomfortable in this passage. I mean, perhaps you're here this morning and it's your first time in church for a while and you hear Jesus say what he does and you think, what's going on? Is this really what Christianity is about? The thing is, um, the more I've looked at this passage, the more I've realized actually it shows the wonder of Easter. It shows us why the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is life-changing to every single one of us, no matter who we are, where we come from, or what we've done. Now, I I get that that's probably not immediately obvious uh, from the passage, so my plan this morning is to focus on verses 21 to 28, um, this incident with the woman. Uh, We will get into the other bit, but not as much detail. And um, I want us to start by understanding what's going on, what's the content. And then I want to take this passage and look at it from three angles. Uh, You know how uh, with a diamond, uh, it's multifaceted, and um, if you kind of twist it around, you get different angles on it, and different light comes out, and different colors. Um, That's what I want to do with this passage. I want to take it, get 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 an understanding of it, and then look at it from three directions. So first of all, though, let's get our heads around what happens. Now, there are three questions we need to ask here. First of all, where does it take place? Secondly, who's it involved? And thirdly, what happens? Uh, first of all, where, where is it? Well, you'll see in verse 21 that Jesus goes to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, I I get that might not mean a lot to us. It's a bit far from Basingstoke. But um, it's hugely significant because Tyre and Sidon, as you can see uh, on this map here, are outside of Israel. See, for the first time in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus' mission crosses a cultural border. Now, why does that matter? Well, it's because... Jesus is crossing the biggest boundary there has ever been. A few years ago, I went to a a wedding in Belfast in Northern Ireland, and um, I loved being there. The people were super friendly. I mean, you guys are friendly, but uh, these were just the same. And uh, careful, avoided that one. Um, Everyone seemed to know each other. It was absolutely brilliant. But um, as we were walking around the city of Belfast, we came across this fence here. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's five and a half meters high, so it's even taller than I am. And um, it divides the city of Belfast, uh, part of the city, in half between two different cultural groups. But the Jew-Gentile division was far greater. See, the Jews considered themselves to be God's chosen people. Everyone else across the fence was on the outside. But do you know what? 
Jesus has just hopped over the fence. That's the where. Who's it involved? Well, we meet a woman in verse 22, and she is desperate. Her daughter is demon-possessed, and she does what every parent would do with a suffering child. She searches frantically for help. One of the most terrifying moments in my life was as a parent when my youngest child developed breathing difficulties. It was something that kind of reoccurred time and time again. But the first time it happened, we just didn't know what was happening. And I remember frantically calling 999 and running out into the road to check the ambulance didn't miss our house. And every minute felt like an eternity. And it's what every single parent would do, isn't it? And this woman does the same. She's heard about Jesus and she knows he can do something about it. But there's a problem. Matthew tells us she's a Canaanite. Now, um, all the commentators will tell you at this point that uh, the term Canaanite isn't very PC. It's an outdated term. See, no one called the people from that area at that point Canaanites. But Matthew has used a deliberately outdated term because he wants to bring to mind the sheer division between Jesus and this woman. See, the Canaanites um, were the ancient uh, enemy of Israel. They were the ISIS of the day. They, they fought bitterly over the centuries. And Matthew is saying, look, this woman is one of those descendants. See, she wants help. She so desperately needs help. But she's in the wrong place and she's from the wrong tribe. That's the where, that's the who, what happens. Well, initially, Jesus keeps silent, but his disciples um, pressure him to dismiss this woman because she keeps hassling them. So Jesus replies in verse 24, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, I don't know about you, but when you read that, you think, why, why be so restrictive? I mean, why not just help her irrespective of where she's from? But Let me say, at the time, Jesus' response here would not have been controversial. See, it was clear that God's Messiah would be a Jewish Messiah. And as a Jewish Messiah or a Jewish king, his mission was to the Jewish people. So when Jesus sends out his disciples back in chapter 10, on their mission, he says, Do not go among the Gentiles, that's non-Jews, or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. But this woman is persistent and she cries three desperate words, Lord, help me. And then we read in verse 26, Jesus' most uncomfortable response, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, what does Jesus mean there? Well, we need to note two things about this comparison. Uh, First of all, it's worth saying there's no element of sexism in that word. See, I think if we use that word today about a a woman, uh, it would invoke all sorts of sexist um, connotations, which would be uh, completely inappropriate. But Jesus would have used this word as much about a man as a woman. Second thing to say is that the word um, actually means little dogs, So you're not to think you're kind of butch 
street dogs who are kind of rummaging around in the garbage. It's, it's the small family dog that we've got running around our house. Now, I, I don't think that makes the offense disappear, but it clarifies why Jesus makes the comparison. See, it is a picture of priority. See, the point is you don't take the kids' fish fingers and chips and throw it in the dog bowl. Look, I, I know some of you really love your dogs. I mean, really love your dogs. But I'm guessing there is still a priority with the children. Perhaps not. Perhaps not. Come and chat to me afterwards. We perhaps have got more issues. And the point is that the Jewish people eat first. See, they were God's chosen people. They got the promises of a king, and Jesus was born to them first. And what's remarkable here is that the woman doesn't stand on her rights. She doesn't say, how dare you compare my status to a dog? Or she doesn't say, you're being prejudiced. How dare you focus on the Jewish people first? She says in verse 27, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Her response shows incredible faith and understanding. See, she says, look, I accept I haven't got the right to be seated at the table. I know the priority is with them, but I do know that you are a generous king, and so I'm happy with whatever falls off your table. Um, Before I started this role at St. Mary's, I was at theological college for four years, and Um, One of the reasons I stayed around Theological College for so long was because you got a meal every lunchtime. It was incredible. (laughs) You didn't have to think about dinner. And um, one of the highlights at college uh, was the Monday after the college open day that had been on a Saturday. See, um, after the college open day, to kind of entice or perhaps bribe bribe the students, um, they would put on a huge buffet. This isn't actually a photo. This is a little bit posher, but it wasn't far off this. And there'd be your, you know, your hams, your pulled porks, your, your cheeses, your chutneys, um, some elderflower fizz thing, um, and a big pavlova to finish it off. I mean, you can tell why I chose the college, can't you? But the thing is about this buffet is it was just too big. There, wasn't a, there was too much uh, for everyone. And so um, there was lots of leftovers, and we, the humble students, on the Monday would eat what was, ever, uh, what was left over. You get the point, don't you? See, this woman has such a big view of Jesus' compassion. She knows that he's more than just some local leader. She knows the help he brings is bigger than just Israel. And so she's satisfied with the leftovers. And Jesus says, you have great faith. And her daughter is healed. Now, that's the incident. What does it show us? Well, let's um, twist the diamond and look at three facets of it. First of all, she is a model of Jesus' people. See, this woman's attitude shows us what it means to be a Christian. Now, it's easy to miss this, but this woman does two things right There are two sides to the coin to being a Christian. Uh, First of all, um, she falls on her knees in humility and she opens her hand for help. 
See, first of all, we need the humility to see that we're not at the table. See, I don't know about you, but I wonder if this happened to me, whether I would have the same response as this woman. I doubt many would. I mean, imagine if this happened today. Imagine the headlines. Shock. Jewish Messiah compares woman to Jack Russell. Imagine it. It's not a surprise, is it? Because in our culture, we're so used to standing on our rights, to assume that we've got access to God automatically. But this woman stands on no rights. She knows she's an outsider. She knows she has no claim on God's grace. See, the first step to us being a Christian is recognizing we're not at the table. None of us are. None of us have loved God as we should. None of us deserve his blessing. None of us can waltz into his presence. We're all outsiders. But here's the thing. Humility is not enough on its own. See, this woman does something else which is model here. She goes to Jesus for help. See, I think this um, explains Jesus' response here. He's um, not being difficult, I don't think, but he's drawing out of the woman her faith. I mean, just like um, if you're a teacher, I'm guessing if you're a good teacher, you will get your best students and you will set them the hardest questions because you want to kind of test them and draw out of them what they know. And I think that's what Jesus is doing. He's pushing up against the woman to draw out how much she is utterly convinced that only he can help. See, for me, this is the bit of the equation I didn't get for a long while. See, I've not always been a Christian. Um, I became a Christian at university uh, when I was 21. And um, I understood, when I was looking into Christianity, pretty quickly that I wasn't as good as I thought I was. I mean, the Bible's pretty clear from cover to cover that actually there's a big problem. And I understood, I, was, I understood my own life, I understood the mistakes I made, and so I could see, actually when the Bible says I was sinful, I was pretty convinced by that. But the problem was, I was brought up on a strong work ethic. See, I was taught that you don't rely on anyone else. See, if you get into a problem, you pull up your bootstraps, you work your way out of it. And that's what I did in my life. I worked hard, I relied on myself. And so when I heard the Bible say that there's a problem, I assumed that I would be the solution. Here's another problem that I can work my way out of. If you like, I was trying to work my way up to the table. But that is not Christian. And in fact, it smuggles in underneath a kind of sense of pride because I'm too good to have to lean on Jesus. See, to be a Christian is to be like this woman. It's admitting we're not at the table, but coming to Jesus alone for help. And of course, it's not just the newbie Christians who need to know that. It's how we go on, all of us, in the Christian life. In fact, this woman's response is um, part of the prayer we pray in Holy Communion. Um, In a moment, we're going to say these words. We do not presume to come to this, your table, merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, that's our own moral performance, but in your manifold and great mercies. 
his words, we are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table. See, that is the prayer of the Christian. The moment we become a Christian and every day we go on. Secondly, the second facet or side of the diamond. We see here a model of Jesus' mission. See, in the context of Matthew's gospel, this woman um, is a real hinge point in what happens. Because after this incident, we read in verse 30 that Jesus heals many. And in verse 32 onwards, he feeds miraculously 4,000 men plus women and children. Now, if you've been with us uh, here at St. Mary's for the last couple of weeks, um, those words probably seem very familiar. And you might think, have I not heard that before? And you'll be right. Because Jesus has just fed a crowd almost in exactly the same way in the previous chapter. Now, I'm not going to revisit this feed-in today. That's pretty much all I'm going to say about it. Because it is a carbon copy of what's come before. And you can download the talk from two weeks ago. But here's the thing. There's one major difference here, and it's where it's taking place. See, the healings, the feeding of the 5,000, that was all in Israel. That was all inside the fence. But these healings, this feeding, is now with non-Jewish people. See, it's like this encounter breaks the dam so that Jesus' compassion flows over the borders to all peoples everywhere. And Matthew includes this, I think, to show us a preview of Jesus' mission. See, after the first Easter, Jesus meets his disciples and he says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Do you notice? Do you notice the shift? Uh, the fence, the, the barrier has been torn down. There's no longer a restriction on Jesus' mission. He now goes to all people. And this Canaanite woman is the first in a great line of those who benefit from Jesus' kingdom. If you're here this morning, and for whatever reason you feel an outsider... Perhaps it's your culture. You just don't feel like the churchy or religious type. Or it's your background. You've just never felt that you fit in anywhere. And you assume that it would be the same with Jesus. Or perhaps it's some sin or some act you've done in your past and you just can't imagine being called a Christian after what you've done. If that is you this morning, can I say that you are in the best position possible because they are the people that Jesus comes for. The third facet of the diamond is that we see here a model of Jesus' work in his death and resurrection. Now, how do we see this? Um, Well, strictly speaking, this woman isn't the first to benefit from Jesus' kingdom. Actually, it's the woman's daughter who is healed. Do you see? This woman intercedes uh, for her daughter. She goes to every length possible to help her. And she does it because she loves her daughter. 
She can't stand her to suffer. And her example is a picture of what Jesus does later in this gospel. See, because he too will be considered an outsider. See, even though Jesus is on the inside with God, even though he's the one actually who deserves a place at the table, he endures the insults from his own people. He endures a long and painful death outside the city. He bears the wrath of his father being put outside his father's grace and favor. And he does that so that by Easter Sunday he can bring healing to outsiders like us. As one person puts it, the child had to become a dog so that we could become sons and daughters at the table. And the day we celebrate today reminds us that any of us, any one of us, can be part of God's kingdom. Not because you deserve it. Not because you have a seat at the table already. Not because you're special. None of us are. But because Jesus Christ has secured a place for you, both now and forever. And he invites you to sit down. As we come into land, um, here are three things to take away from the passage this morning. First of all, to become a child means becoming a dog. And I realize that's strong language, but obviously you can see it's from the passage. See, we need to remember that we do not deserve a place at the table. And it's so easy to forget that, isn't it? Even as Christians. I mean, perhaps you're young and um, you've grown up in church. You've never known a day where you've not been part of Christian things. Or perhaps you're older and you've been a Christian for decades. I mean, they are great things. They're to be given thanks for. But it is easy to get comfortable, to think that we're part of the furniture and deserve to be in God's kingdom. A true child always remembers they deserve only the crumbs. Secondly, don't get comfortable with self-righteousness. Don't get comfortable with self-righteousness. If you've ever had an infection, um, we don't need to talk about it now, but um, you do everything possible to kind of fight it off, don't you? Um, To pursue it with antibiotics and creams and that sort of thing. And Sorry, that's not a helpful uh, picture. But um, you get the point. You're you're to treat self-righteousness the same way. You're to pursue it. Why? Because it kills off our faith in Jesus Christ. See, this woman is the complete opposite, isn't she? She's not self-righteous. She has great faith precisely because she doesn't stand on her rights. Now, um, one of the ways I've tried to put this into my um, devotional life is um, when I pray in the morning, not just to confess the bad things I've done, but to confess the good things I've done from the wrong heart a heart of self-righteousness. And I wonder, off the back of this, where that crops up for you. Thirdly, don't discriminate any more than Jesus. See, this woman is the second person in this gospel to be commended for her faith, and she is the person you would least expect. And Jesus is teaching us an important lesson that no one is excluded from his kingdom. 
So it's completely inappropriate, isn't it, to start putting up fences about who could be in and who can be out. And I don't know about you, but it's so easy to find yourself doing that, to kind of be talking freely about Christian things with those that you think might be on their way, or actually you can kind of imagine in church. And you kind of hold off talking to people who you think wouldn't be interested. But this woman, people would have said the same about her. She's not going to come into the kingdom. She's completely excluded. But she's one of the first to come in. I've decided not to censor what I say, obviously to use wisdom, not to be talking about these things all the time, but, but to just share freely where there's the opportunity and not prejudge how someone's going to respond. Because Jesus shows us that anyone, no matter what our background, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, can come to him for help. We've seen in this woman a model for Jesus' people, a model of Jesus' mission, and a model of Jesus' work. Let's pray. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. Our gracious Heavenly Father, may that be the prayer on our lips, both now and forever. We praise you, our Heavenly Father, that even though we don't deserve a place at your table, you sent your Son to bring us into your kingdom. Oh, Father, please protect us from self-righteousness. Please help us to be generous in our mission. And please, Father, help us to pray, Lord, help me. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.